Welcome back to another episode of Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, Addis JB3, and I've missed y'all. Equity in Action is moving along nicely. We've had some really great speakers thus far, and we have many, many more lined up. We are actually booking speakers right now for 2021. I mean, we are booked, busy, and blessed, folks. So thank you to all the people who have come forward thus far. Looking forward to hearing from more. And as always, I'd like to thank the listeners. With your support, we have over 500 plays. And I appreciate y'all for rocking with me and the Equity Matters movement. Thanks for sharing the podcast, commenting on our IG page, and really just for being engaged. It, It makes a difference knowing that I'm having conversations with folks out there in the field, doing the work, who understand the struggle, and who are looking to unite with other folks who are just as engaged and passionate about the work that they do. I would like to preface today's episode with a trigger warning. Though you've heard me be blatant with topics like racism, sexism, classism, I do want to note that this episode contains depictions and descriptions of suicidal ideation and discussions of suicide that some people may find disturbing. So if you want to avoid this content, I'm going to have you skip to about six and a half minutes into today's episode. And before I begin, of course, I want to make sure that I've referenced the resources that are available and similar to what I did earlier this week on the Equity Matters podcast Instagram page. If you or someone you know is in an emergency, call 911 immediately. If you are in crisis or are experiencing difficult or suicidal thoughts, Call the National Suicide Hotline. That number is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. That number is available 24-7. And if you are not comfortable talking on the phone, you can also text TALK to 741-741, and you'll be connected with a free trained counselor on the crisis text line. We make it available. Help is always available. So let's start this thing off talking about the month of September. It's fall, the leaves are changing, it's getting colder, but September is also Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. This month is all about finding resources and taking actions to safeguard our mental health and really to save lives. This means learning the warning signs for suicide and what to do if you are worried about someone with the potential for harming themselves. It's also a moment for us to celebrate mental health advocates to celebrate prevention organizations, survivors, allies, policymakers, the people who are out there championing and promoting suicide prevention awareness. It's a moment for us all to unite in this moment. And I'm using this month to reach out to those who have been affected by suicide and raise awareness on this often taboo subject, especially if we're talking about in the black community, there's a lot of shame that goes alongside with mental health and mental illness. And it does also resonate with the concept or the topic of suicide. Now, suicidal thoughts are much like mental health conditions. I mean, they can affect anyone, regardless of your age, your gender, your background. And every year, thousands of individuals die by suicide. And you'll notice that I did not say commit suicide because language matters here. It's actually death by suicide. This goes to the point that we need to remove the shame and stigma from mental illness and suicide. We can stop blaming the families or blaming the ones who took their lives. Those who die by suicide did not commit 
a crime. They didn't commit anything. They died by suicide. So my pro tip to all of you folks out there still using the C word, it's time to update your vocabulary. It is death by suicide. When we think about the risk factors for suicide death, those are the characteristics of a person or their environment that increase the likelihood that they will die by suicide. I mean, this is their suicide risk. Some of those common risk factors are prior suicide attempts, misuse and abuse of alcohol and other drugs, uh, access to lethal means, knowing someone personally who died by suicide, social isolation, um, chronic disease and disability, and lack of access to behavioral care. And this goes back to say that, you know, it's not just about the individual. It's also about their environment, what's going on around them. You can think about social isolation, what we're experiencing right now in a pandemic. Folks are not able to see their family and loved ones. It creates an environment where they don't feel safe or connected. So I want to get personal with you all for a moment. I'm going to share a poem. It's called Abyss. Drifting in and out. Darkness surrounds all my thoughts. And knowing me, this is a haiku, just based on how short it is. But I wrote this poem back in July of 2010. And this was the summer between undergrad and graduate school starting. I was supposed to be excited because I had this new transition coming in my life. And yet my thoughts and feelings did not reflect that opportunity that may have been coming my way. This was not my first time with suicidal ideation, nor my last or my last attempt. For most of my adolescence, I struggled with depression. And as an adult, I have chronic anxiety. Now I've come a long way with managing these feelings, but they aren't eliminated. I do find myself pacing quite a bit. I find myself with my thoughts constantly considering the what ifs. And beyond myself, there are so many people that I know, family and friends who have attempted suicide. It's that feeling of depression, despair, not having a clear path forward, the hopelessness, the inability to find a positive in the sky. And I've been there. But why, why am I talking about this? You know, I, I tend to get personal on the podcast, but you all know me. I'm about the equity piece. I'm about looking into the barriers, looking into how it is difficult for some people to access things or what does the data tell us and what I've observed in the last few months as I've started doing more suicide prevention work is there is a silent crisis taking place and you've heard me or if you've ever heard me do my COVID-19 presentation where I describe the crisis within the crisis you might see kind of the direction that I'm going in in youth ages 10 to 19 Suicide is the second leading cause of death. The suicide death rate among black youth have been found to be increasing faster than any other racial group. Digging a little deeper, between 1991 and 2017, suicide attempts among black adolescents increased by 73%. And that is for both boys and girls. And I fit in that category. In that same time frame, I could have been a statistic. And in that same study, other interesting results, suicide deaths decreased for white adolescents. So why? 
What is it about our black youth? As African-Americans, we have unique needs that don't always align with what we think of in the traditional medical system, let alone the traditional behavioral health care system. It wasn't designed for us, go figure. And African-Americans have been found to use mental health services irregularly. Well, yes, partially because those services are not accessible, but also because of the way we were raised to pray it off or to not talk about that, get over it. We could talk all about toxic masculinity here, but there's a lot of a lot of different angles that we could approach this problem. You also can see that there's this discussion of how African-Americans lack insurance coverage, which is also true. But there's also gaps in the ways that we can receive that coverage. And then we can always just get into the idea of general mistrust of doctors in the medical system. I think I've had maybe four therapists in my lifetime, and each of them I left for a very different reason. But it all boiled down into, I don't trust you. I mean, we could spend a whole episode talking about stigma of mental health and talking about shame and how that shows up as a barrier for seeking help. But I'd also think about this from a, a deeper perspective. I would argue that that feeling of shame and stigma is actually a remnant of enslavement. There's this notion that our black experience is to be characterized by struggle. And to be characterized by struggle, we are then led to believe that we are more resilient than others because of the things that we've been deprived of. Now, I do agree that black folk are some of the most resilient and innovative folks that you will ever come across. But I would also say as people of color who have been victimized by racism, we can internalize it. That is to say that we've developed ideas and beliefs and actions that behaviors that support racism. So we all know that one person or that one family member that can be judgmental when it comes to trauma and mental health. You know, this could be even historical. It could be ongoing. It doesn't matter. But we have to refrain from using language that is harmful. You talk about you are so strong. You don't need a therapist or we're black and we've survived all the things that they've thrown at us. So you should be able to handle your own mental health. What that does is prevents people from being open, from being honest, or even seeking help when necessary. So this would be my second ask of the day. Stop doing it. If we want people to be open, to be vulnerable, to be transparent, we have to create environments where they feel safe, where they can feel courageous. And that won't work as long as we continue to shut folks down the moment they open their mouths. Now, I'm newer to suicide prevention, but I've spent quite a bit of time now in public health. And these racialized differences come as no surprise to me. You know, that's what disparities are all about. But these inequities are troublesome and as always I start thinking about root causes. I think about moving upstream to figure out what's happening that's resulting in an increase of suicide deaths. The risk factors that I described earlier, and 
they're very important warning signs, but there are other determinants worth looking at. When you talk about the social determinants of health, they play a very large role in substance use disorders and depression. And you can then link it to suicide. For my non-public health or social worky type folks, no, the social determinants of health are the conditions in which people are born, grow, live, work, and age. Thank you, World Health Organization. I'm pretty sure I have that memorized. I probably should get it tattooed. But they're also shaped by the distribution of money, power, and resources at various levels. So where there is money in certain places, there are certain resources available. Therefore, the living experience is different. I remember growing up, I would spend time on the east side of Detroit, and I recall very well being on Alter Road. And on one side of Alter Road is Detroit, and on the other side is Gross Point. And you see a very clear distinction on which side has and which side does not. I came across this tweet a while ago. Follow me on Twitter, at isjb 3 And... The tweet mentioned how affordable housing is suicide prevention. Livable wages are suicide prevention. Universal health care is suicide prevention. When you think about the things that people have access to, and you think about the ability to have a home that you feel safe in, that you're not concerned that you're not going to make the next month's payment, or that you have enough income to do the things that you need to do on a regular basis. You're not thinking about those financial stressors that then play a role into depression or any other mental illness. You start to see somewhat of a protective factor or a safety net. We often talk about social determinants of health when it comes to health outcomes. I mean, they, they go hand in hand because we know they contribute to health disparities. And we rarely, at least at least in my space, we rarely talk about social determinants of health when it comes to suicide. Income and financial stability are significant factors that we should be considering here. You think about those financial stressors I described earlier, like job loss, debt, that impacts people. And it can impact people in a very detrimental way. We know that suicide and depression disproportionately affect individuals with lower educational attainment. And the same rules apply for lower incomes. What do we know about those with lower education? They're more likely to work at or near minimum wage. And we can take this further upstream and consider how classism, sexism, and racism shape our ability to meet those needs. These determinants all feed off of one another and ultimately produce a downward spiral type effect. Each spiral increases the risk for suicide. So let's think of it as a cycle. I know I just said spiral, but we're, we're changing shapes. Imagine you have poor health to begin with. You have some chronic disease, which I described earlier as a risk factor. This could impact your ability to get or keep a job. You lose your job, you're no longer able to pay your bills. In addition to losing your job, you now lose your insurance, your health coverage. It's difficult to find quality health care. And losing your job and financial resources, you are now not able to get nutritious food. 
With all those things lingering, imagine the feelings of stress that are weighing on you, the stress that continues to build on a daily basis. And without the right coping skills, you now have unhealthy coping mechanisms. Without having those appropriate tools, you're more likely to use substances and experience other mental health challenges. And guess what? That goes right back to the beginning of poor health, just to be perpetuated again. So, you know me, I'm in grad school and I'm always doing some kind of research. Compared to the general U.S. population, people with substance use disorders have a 10 to 14 times greater risk of death by suicide. And more than half of the individuals who die by suicide had major depression. So we go back and talk about those financial stressors that I described before and those unhealthy coping mechanisms. That positions individuals to quickly enter a cycle that increases the risk for suicide. So when we start talking about those protective factors, we need to keep those things in mind. And all of that is just on a normal day. But let's add in the fact that many of us are in a forced quarantine. We are stuck at home, safe at home, but stuck at home. Black lives continue to be violently brutalized by the police, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. I say their names with a sense of honoring them, but I also say their names and I can feel my own anxiety peaking. You know, I, I intentionally avoid any video that shows a black life being taken away, but I can see them, I can hear them. There's a doctor out of, um, out of Columbia University who suggests that black Americans are 20% more likely to experience serious mental health problems than a general population. Imagine that, one in five. And then imagine everything that you've been taught about coping, about what it means to seek help. If one in five is impacted, I wonder how many will actually have an opportunity to seek out services. Now, it's not like me to talk about problems without talking about solutions. So I hope you're prepared because of course that's what's coming. Imagine if we started talking about suicide prevention as a social justice issue. We could throw as many interventions as we can conjure up to reduce the suicide rate and it would still be insufficient. We have to tackle those underlying inequalities that leave many populations disadvantaged and at greater risk. So for instance, what if we actually did have a living wage? Or we actually offer mental health parity across insurance plans or make sure that services and providers are really within proximity of already vulnerable populations. Just imagine how that transforms our systems. And back to the social determinants of health that I described earlier, those are actually assets. And we've got a, a speaker who will be coming on in a few weeks who's going to break that down even further. But the same thing that neglects can also protect as we're talking about what our safety net looks like. Now, I'm a policy guy, but we could actually create policies that reduce poverty, that boost educational performance, that improve housing conditions, and reduce unemployment. These are the type of sweeping policy developments 
that are necessary to address those fundamental sources of disadvantage. And it would lead to a reduction of suicide, a reduction of risk in suicide. I have a guest in mind for the future who can talk more about what her state is doing for suicide prevention and what they're doing to reverse some of those trends that we're seeing in the data. And I'm really excited because just last week she hosted a racism and mental health conference, which I had an opportunity to attend and it was phenomenal. The speakers were great. The content was on time and I'm hoping that she can join me soon. I'm, I'm not going to uh, say her name, but she knows that she lives in Maryland. So hopefully we'll get her on here soon. September is more than just Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. It is also Self-Care Month and Self-Care Awareness Month, which I think is a subtle reminder for us who are out there doing the work, whether that's through counseling, through mental health, through behavioral health, whatever your profession may be, if you're in the service of helping others, this is a good reminder for us to take care of ourselves. You can't pour from an empty cup. Just like they tell you when you get on the plane, please secure yourself before you try to secure anyone else. And as you've heard in the Equity in Action episodes, I really press on that self-care piece because we know that doing this kind of work has its own weight. I think about Erica Garner, activist, passed away suddenly. I think about others who died unexpectedly there's an extra weight that comes with the responsibilities that we take in holding up the mantle of justice. This takes a physical burden on us, and that's something just to be mindful of every day as you're doing the work. It's so common for self-care to be neglected in our day-to-day. I mean, we're often chasing the next crisis, the next pandemic, and it wears on you. So we have to be equipped from time to time to step away So think about what you're doing for self-care, because no matter how good you think you are, your body will tell you when it's time to rest. And I know that I've experienced that burnout feeling. And so whatever we can do to follow a path of self-care and not a path of self-harm, let's be sure to do that. In addition to self-care awareness to suicide prevention, this week, September 20th through September 26th is Black and Mental Health Week. And we are highlighting Black excellence and mental health throughout the world. I've got to participate in a Black and Mental Health roll call earlier this week. And even though I may not personally identify as working in mental health, I do acknowledge that the adoption of an equity lens is where I thrive. And I've seen personally how other individuals are doing the same thing who are in mental health. Um, So one shout out to all of you who are doing the work to ensure the mental health and safety of our communities. And two, make sure you check out Black and Mental Health this week. They have a full week planned, full of exciting events, ways that are engaging on social media. That is Black I-N-M-H on Twitter. And I normally don't include a call to action in my episodes. I like to inform. I like to educate. I like to facilitate to educate. But I want you all to use the title for this one. Check on the people in your life, especially the black people who have been resilient for far too long, who feel like they have to be on all the time, that they are constantly chasing perfect. And 
they feel like they can't ever turn off their strength. The ones who have been impacted by the traumas of the world going on around us, do me a favor. Check on your strong black friend. If you don't check on them, do me another favor. Send them this episode because they may need to hear this message. And now is also the time for us to mobilize and organize and strategize. And it's time to start advocating. It's time to talk about the things that are upsetting our communities. When we're talking about media, we're talking about police brutality, the poor perception and the narrative associated with African-Americans. It's time to start advocating for not just awareness and not just the cultural competency or humility, but we need to make sure that the resources are available for people to thrive, to ensure that there's effective advocacy out there. We want to make sure that people have an opportunity to invest in their own mental health. For me, this means that I am embracing my own voice. In the black community, I see more and more now public solidarity when we're talking about the struggles with mental health. And I look forward to a point where we can all be transparent and share our experiences. As always, I'd love for you to keep up with us on social media. We are on Instagram. That is the Equity Matters podcast page. We recently went through a rebrand. I'm loving the way things are looking. My OCD is back on track. Continue to listen. Continue to subscribe to the Equity Matters podcast. What we're doing is special. What we're doing needs to be elevated and amplified. And of course, you already know, Equity Matters.